I went to a small college in Southern California, small enough that we kind of pretty much all could recognize each other around town. If we saw each other, we all kind of knew who was who, our little campus. But on campus, it was just big enough that we didn't really know everybody. So on my campus, there happened to be these three blonde, untouchable beauties all three of them were out of my league, way out of my league. And all I knew them as in my mind were the three blondes. My friends, we would talk about the three blondes. There were these three really pretty girls on our campus. I didn't know any of them. The three blondes were just this mythical kind of out there, whoa. They'd, one of them would walk by and it would just be like, whoa, wow. Well, one day I'm out at the movies with a bunch of my buddies, and it's a cheap movie theater. Everyone's there. It's packed out to see the incredible, memorable film, Young Guns 2. Yeah, it's a real keeper. Um, I'm up there. I got my hands on the counter, and I'm taking my tickets, and I'm giving them my money. And all of a sudden, my shorts drop around my ankles. Whoosh! And I'd been pantsed like really well. And I turn around and I see my friend Clark laughing his head off and running through the crowd. And I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. Everyone's laughing. There's probably 60 people standing right there around the front. I'm just like pulling my shorts up and grabbing my money and grabbing my tickets. And I want to just go beat this guy so bad. I'm so mad at him. And I go running through the crowd and I come around the corner and I see Clark. And I come up and I'm just like going to pound on him. And Clark is standing next to one of the three blondes. And it was like I just had this moment where it was like angels sang. I was just like, oh. And I was like, what am I doing? I'm about to punch Clark. And I'm, I'm next to one of the three blondes. And I kind of I hit him, and we kind of joked. And I kind of was like, I just kind of melted. And I kind of backed away. I was just like, OK. So I went into the movies. I'd met one of the three blondes. Her name was Julie. I go into the movie theater, and she sits with her friends, and I sit back about three rows. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, it's one of the three blondes. But then I start watching, and I watch as Julie starts asking the people in her group questions. And I watch and realize, whoa, there's a lot more to this girl then I realized she's making everybody in that group that she's with feel like they're the most important person in the group. She's asking, she's, and I just watched this natural curiosity. And the more I watched her, the more I realized, whoa, there's more here, a lot more here. You know how sometimes you see someone, you think they might be attractive, and then they open their mouth? I had that wonderful opposite experience of watching her open her mouth and realize, wow, I'd like to know her. I would like, she's more than just a beautiful face. There's more going on here. I got to say, 32 years later, I'm still having that joy of getting to know my wife and realize that, that God put us together for a reason, for a purpose. There's been just this the wonderful process of getting to know her all these years. And it's got to say, this book of Hebrews acts like a lens that invites us to come in and look deeply at God. And that as we look at him, we're going to find there's more and more and more about him that draws us in, more about him that is attractive, more about him that is good, more about him that is better than anything we could have come up with on our own. Verse 1 says... Jump back up to verse 1 here on my phone. 
Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith allows us to experience something that we can't experience with our senses. I love that definition. Faith allows us to experience something that we can't experience with our senses. There's a lot of concepts out there, like scientific concepts, that you may not fully understand, but if you hold two magnets, you can start to recognize there's something going on with these things. There's something that I may not understand all the science, but I can have enough knowledge that I can see there's something happening here. And I may not know all the details. I may not understand all that happens when someone falls in love. When I was falling in love with Julie, I didn't understand all the details that were happening between my brain and my synapses and the chemicals and all these different pieces. There was this concept, this thing happening. It was a, I was falling in love with her. I may not be able to identify it completely. I may not be able to put parameters around all these pieces, but this is how faith works. It's the same way when I look at my body, not that my body is the specimen for everyone, but when I look at my body, I realize God made this. You look at just the different systems in my body, in your body. Just look at just the way the ear works. Look at the way the eye works works, all these intricate pieces. You just start to look at these pieces and you begin to connect the dots realizing, I think somebody made this. This is this leap of faith that takes us to the understanding. The same way it works with the way our world works, all these systems in our world, the way water works, the way it evaporates, the way it falls, the way it comes back, and all these systems that God has put in place, the exact distance that we need to be from the sun for life to exist here on this planet, all these little pieces, and faith is that piece that allows us to take that next step, to connect those dots, to recognize that somebody has put these things in place. This is faith. Jump down to verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Pleasing God starts with this faith, this jump. Faith in what? What does this mean? Why, why does it take faith to please God? God's big plan was always Jesus. It was always Jesus. All the way through the Old Testament, every single story is pointing us to God's big plan. And his big plan was always Jesus. He is better. He always was. He always will be. He's better than the old system. He's better than anything I can bring to the equation. I put my faith in Jesus. When I put my faith in Jesus... This pleases God. Why? Because God is pleased with Jesus. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. He is everything I needed. When God looks at me, what does he see? He doesn't see Darren. He doesn't see my broken patterns, my sinful ways. When God looks at me because I put my faith in his perfect plan, which is Jesus, I put my faith in Jesus. God sees Jesus when he looks at me. 
This is how it starts for me. How do I start by pleasing God? Well, I start by placing my faith in Jesus. And as I place my faith in him, he is pleased with me. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Moving on in that verse, we get two pieces that are really important. The first one is believing he exists. This is a big step for some of you. It's a big step. I kind of grew up in a family that taught me these things I view around me, this world I see, this body and these systems I have. I grew up in a family that said this was put together and that's a plan and reflects God in everything around us. So I grew up without this jump being a big one for me. I grew up kind of just believing that God existed. That was kind of the way I, I grew up. For some of you, this jump is huge. This is that place where God gives us this, this seed of faith to be able to put those dots together. And for some of you, that step is a big one. For me, that wasn't a huge step. Believing that God exists, starting there, that God exists, that he is the one behind everything that I see. The second piece is believing that he's good. That he is a rewarder of those who seek him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Wow. These foundational concepts. Keith last week wrapped up in Hebrews 13 talking about this unshaken kingdom. These are the two building blocks, the two pivotal building blocks for the unshaken kingdom. Does God exist? And is he good? Does God exist? And is he good? He's a rewarder of those who seek him. I think he, I think he does exist, and I think he's fantastic. Look at these rewards. What are these rewards he's talking about here? First of all, the first reward, as we place our faith in him, the first reward that we get is him. The completion of Everything that is possibly good in, in life, in eternity, from eternity past to eternity present to eternity future, God gives himself to us as we place our faith in him. The very reason we were put here on this earth was to glorify God. And when we enter into a relationship, he gives himself to us. The very best thing he gives us as a reward is himself, a sense of his Presence, a clarification of our purpose here on this planet, a forgiveness for our sin, the sin that would separate us from God, all of these things are answered in Jesus. He gives us himself. God is a rewarder, and the first reward he gives us is himself, the best possible reward, the only thing that is enough for our faith. The second piece that he gives us is this future unshaken kingdom. This passage is going to hit on it in a number of times. I'll come back around to this. But this idea that when we die, we have a kingdom that is being prepared for us. God has planned something that is going to blow our minds. The future for us, this heaven, this kingdom that, that God is putting together and making, going to be so amazing and every time we touch on it in scripture the language is just like mind-blowing to think about 
what is coming for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus. This future, full realization of this unshaken kingdom, the full realization of what is coming is going to be unbelievably fantastic. But the third piece is where I want to park today. The third piece is, the third reward is that we become an agent of the unshaken kingdom right now. It's not just about when we get to heaven. It's that God invites us in, gives us himself, takes our sin, invites us into relationship with the creator of the universe, makes it clear to us that our future is completely secure. And then he says, and not only that, (laughs) not only that, but I want to give you life right now. I want to give you a life of meaning right now. I want to make your life electric. I want to make it about so much more than you and your desires and your appetites and the things that you crave. No, I want to make it about my kingdom and the values that are important to me and the things that are on my heart and my passions for the people around you right now, right here in Franklin, in Spring Hill, in Nashville, that we would get a chance to be agents of this unshaken kingdom right now. It's not here yet, obviously. We look around us right now and we can just see things that are happening that just make us go, whoa, this ain't heaven. We're not here yet. But God is inviting us to be agents of that heavenly revolution right now. Right now that we would be living according to those values, according to those things that are on his heart. Some of you, I found out this morning, there's actually someone here with us this morning that has never seen the film Braveheart. So there may be a few more of you that have never seen the movie Braveheart. I'm sorry, but if you've never seen the movie Braveheart, I'm going to kind of give away a couple punchlines from the movie this morning. But uh, in the film Braveheart, there's a clip that I kind of wanted to play, but I couldn't really play it because there's kind of some things that they say in this kind of war moment where they're a little, little inappropriate for the, for the whole crowd this morning. So I'm just going to set the foundation for you here a moment. William Wallace comes riding onto the field of battle, and the Scottish army has been assembled, and they're up against the English. And William Wallace comes riding in, and most of the people who are assembled in this field of battle haven't seen him yet. And they all say, you can't be William Wallace. William Wallace is seven feet tall, and he makes some jokes, and he says, he turns around on his horse, and he asks them, are you going to stay and fight? And their answer back is interesting. One of the guys says, fight. Against this? No. We will run, and we will live. William Waller answers back, get ready. Some of you out there that are Braveheart people, you're about to have your moment, okay? At the end of this quote, I'm going to let you finish it, so get ready. Get some air in your lungs. He says, they said, no, we'll run and we'll live. And he says, I fight and you may die. Run and you'll live at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. (sighs) Yes, yes. 
calling them to risk it all. He's calling them to risk it all. I want to play a clip for you from Braveheart that some of you may have missed because this one actually shouts in a whisper. Listen to this clip. My lady. Sarah, I come to beg you to confess all and swear allegiance to the king that he might show your mercy. Will you show mercy to my country? Mercy is to die quickly. Perhaps even live in a tower. In time, who knows what can happen? If you can only live. If I swear to him, then all that I am is dead already. It will be awful. Every man dies. Not every man really lives. Every man dies. Not every man really lives. We're being called up to be really alive, to engage in a fight that matters, to see God's kingdom here in small ways that you and I get to participate in right now, right here on this planet, long before we get to heaven, we're being called to engage in a fight that matters. This is the content of chapter 11 of Hebrews. This is rock and roll faith, by the way. It's at least PG-13. In many cases, it's R or worse, okay? I'll just tell you right now, if you haven't had a chance to go back and look through Hebrews chapter 11 and go and find the stories that are there, I'm going to give you the passages as I walk through a couple of pieces here. I'm going to tell you where to go and find them. He said it this way. He said, these are the stories of many broken people getting brought up to something amazing. Sometimes we look at Hebrews chapter 11 as the hall of faith and we kind of put these people up on some kind of a pedestal. I think instead what's meant to happen in Hebrews chapter 11 is we're bringing these people down off of the pedestal. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, we're able to say these are normal people who are being brought up by God to do something way beyond what they were capable of. In verse 7, we get Noah. Noah is in Genesis chapter 6. Starts in Genesis chapter 6 and goes to chapter 7. But in verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 11, it says this, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. I'm not exactly sure how this became a, uh, a children's story along the way, because, whoa, go back and reread it. This is not a children's story. We start to recognize in this part of Genesis, the world has gotten really off track. So off track that God's trying to figure out now, fixing this mess is going to take something really major. And this is a really major story. But get what happens here. Noah is highlighted because his faith outlasts the fact checkers. <laughs> All these people said, 
what are you doing? All these people said, this isn't, they didn't even know what rain was. You realize that? It had never rained before. Noah had to start here. God says, hey, I'm going to send this thing, this rain, it's going to flood the earth. What, what is that? Noah had to start at ground zero and just believe, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust this crazy, wild plan, this thing you're telling me to do. Abraham, in verses 8, 9, and 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Abraham was 75 years old. He was happy and comfortable and living with his family. And God says, I've got something else for you. And it involves you packing up everything, moving to this other place, and I'm going to bless the entire world through you. Honestly, I think the reason Abraham is in chapter 11 of Hebrews is because he got up and started moving. He defied gravity. He could have said, I'm happy, I'm comfortable, I'm 75. I'm going to stay put. But God called him and he got up and he started moving. He went. He defied gravity. He defied this idea that, that objects that aren't moving are hard to get moving. And he started moving. And as he moved, it's this crazy thing about the way God uses faith. God can steer a moving ship. And for some of you, the challenge and the call on your life might be this week. Just start moving. Take a step towards God. Take a step towards him in faith. When Julie and I took our family and we moved to France years ago, we had people saying things to us like, oh my gosh, I could never do this. Our children were six and eight. We were leaving a pretty comfortable situation in, in California where I'd been a pastor for years and, and people were saying things to us like, I don't know if I could ever do this. It would take so much faith. I think the thing that Julie and I always come back to is God called us and we knew he'd called us. It would have taken us more faith to say no to him than it would have to start moving. Now, here's the thing. All we did was start moving. I didn't like the French. I didn't want to move to France. I never wanted to see their stupid tower. I just... That's where I was. I wasn't the best missionary. I really wasn't. But God was calling us, and I knew he was calling us. And so I said, okay. All I started to do was move. And God, I just felt God's huge foot on my behind. Go. And then he did amazing things. He did amazing things. He gets all the credit. God can steer a moving ship. And I think Abraham is here because he got up and just started moving. He made a lot of mistakes. Go read the story. It's pretty amazing that he's still in this book because he, he just started moving and God started using him.
In verse 11 and 12, Genesis, oh, that was um, Genesis 12, if you want to go back and find that story of Abraham. Sarah is Genesis 16 to 18. It's mostly still Abraham, but there's a big chunk of it in there that's Sarah. We find Sarah in verse 11 and 12. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and from him as good as dead were born the descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. When Sarah heard this message that she was going to have a baby and that God was going to bless the world through her, do you remember how old she was? Do you know? She was 90. Do you know what she did when she heard it? When God told her this? When God showed up and gave her this message? Do you know what Sarah did? Some of you are saying it out there. You know the story. She laughed. She laughed at God. Now, that's not mentioned here in chapter 11. I'm not really sure why they left that part out. God said, you're going to have a baby. And she said, really? 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 Then God says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And she said, I didn't laugh. (laughs) Go back and read it. It's amazing. It's an amazing story. Genesis 16 to 18. But what we get recorded here in, in this part is there was this little grain of faith that she had. She trusted God. She believed. She laughs at God and she lives to tell about it. It's unbelievable. Genesis 18, 14 says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? This is his response back to Sarah. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Somewhere in there, this little grain of faith captured inside of Sarah. She trusted God for the outcome. Amazing. Verses 13 to 16 So powerful. Then these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. That's key. Key mindset for all of us as we think about what our heavenly home ultimately will be. We are strangers and exiles here on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city, this future reward that we have. One of my favorite characters in all of the Narnia series is this tiny little often overlooked character named Reepicheep. Anyone else out there a Reepicheep fan? Anybody even know who, some of you know who Reepicheep is? Reepicheep was a mouse. One of the mice responsible for chewing off the ropes, off of Aslan, as he lay there on the stone table. This is Reepicheep. Reepicheep was a warrior, but he's a mouse. So there's these really funny situations where Reepicheep pulls his sword and goes to attack or does something kind of crazy because his faith far outlasts his skill level and size. Reepicheep was a warrior, and Reepicheep wanted to be about God's kingdom at every turn and in every way. And in the voyage of the Dawn Treader, the Dawn Treader is the boat, and it's heading east towards Aslan's country. I may not be able to read this. This quote always kills me. Ah, even as I get to it, I can barely read it. This heart of Reepicheep. 
My own plans are made. While I can, I sail east in the dawn treader. When she fails me, I paddle east in my coracle. When she sinks, I shall swim east with my four paws. And when I can swim no longer, if I have not reached Aslan's country or shot over the edge of the world into some vast cataract, I shall sink with my nose to the sunrise. Wow. What does it look like to have a heart like Reepicheep, to know that God has something for us that is beyond anything this world can offer us? and that we get to be about it right now. Abraham and Isaac will wrap up with this, verse 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Whoa. Genesis 22, highly recommend that you go read this one as well. Wow. This is the child of the blessing. This is the child that was offered to the 75-year-old, this 90-year-old, the completion of this story. And now Abraham is asked to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. Not only that, he makes Isaac carry the wood up the mountain. To be, it's just a crazy story. But somewhere in here, Abraham believes that even if this crazy situation goes all the way to its fulfillment. God can bring him back. What? Wow. Abraham's faith has progressed a long way from just getting off the couch. And now he believes God could bring him back. Whoa. What is God calling you up to? Last week, I loved this when Keith said, I believe that this church stuff is about more than good sermons and good songs. Man, I cannot agree more. I think it's meant to be more like the bars in Boston in circa 1775. 1775, there were things brewing, and those bars were hot with people who wanted to be about revolution. And now we, right now, can circle together with people that are wanting to be about bringing God's kingdom, to bringing God's values, to bringing God's heart for Franklin, for Nashville, for Spring Hill. We get to be about this unshaken kingdom, and we're invited into a life that actually matters right now. Right now, every single one of us are being called up. And maybe you are chuckling behind your hand as you think, oh, God, me? Maybe you need to get off your couch and start doing something. Keith gave us a list last week that I just thought was so good. It's from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 to 6. It's this list about the unshaken kingdom. The unshaken kingdom in us cares for these things cares for each other, cares for those of us who were right here, part of this battle that we're fighting together. It cares for our neighbors. It cares for people around us who are in need. What a great time of the year to be reminded. We Often there are things offered to us that aren't offered at other times of the year to participate and to help people who might be in need. This unshaken kingdom cares about covenant. 
It cares about covenant. It cares about the people with whom you were in covenant relationship with. For some of you, your move in the unshaken kingdom needs to be towards your wife or towards your husband or towards your kids. And last, it cares about the presence of God. It cares about the presence of God in such a way that what we try to fill with money, God wants to fill with his presence. And right now, maybe the questions you're having are, do I have enough financially? Are we going to make it? Can we even celebrate Christmas this year? And what God is saying is he wants to fill that hole. He wants to fill that void. And maybe your move right there needs to be towards him in faith. What is God calling you to? Because I believe he's calling every single one of us up to something better. To experience himself. The fact that we've got this kingdom that we're heading towards someday. That makes everything on earth pale in comparison. And right now he's calling you and I up to being agents of his unshaken kingdom. Dear Jesus, guide us. Speak to us this morning. What are you calling us up to? For some of us, it might just be that very first step of faith to place our faith in you and to enter into this journey. And for some of us, we've made that first step. What are you calling us to for our neighbors? What are you calling us to for our families? What are you calling us to in our finances? Speak to us in your name. Amen.